Thanks, Ed. <clears throat> well, good morning, everybody. It's uh, really a great joy to be here this morning, and um, I told Rich I'm going to move this, so sorry, guys. I'd move it every single week in Maritzburg, so I have to just keep the tradition going here. Um, it is so good to be with you, and for those who, some of you guys will know me, it's kind of interesting coming back here, so we launched a church out of this church about two and a half years ago, yeah, around about two and a half years ago, um, and we will forever be grateful to this place, and this always kind of feels like coming home to, to me and my family. We were here for 13 years, 13 and a half years. Um, doing ministry here with Roger and Yvonne and Hilt and Scotty and all of the guys. And so um, it is, really feels like we're coming home every time we come here. But I do miss my Maritzburg family this morning. I just have to say that. So if any of them are catching this online, not now, but later on today, because right now you're at church in Maritzburg, which is where you should be. But um, huge shout out to all of them. God is doing amazing things in Maritzburg. And um, if you guys were here at the time, you would know that this church really sowed a lot into getting that campus off the ground, supported us for the first little while. And we will forever be grateful for that because really we've seen God do just amazing things. So we launched the church seven months before the first lockdown hit. Like, is that some kind of sick joke? Like, what are we talking about here? And, uh, but God has been so faithful every single step of the way. We, we launched in a school uh, at, a, at a primary school called, called Wallace. Some of you guys helped us there, set things up, and came and volunteered for a little while. And then we were in a shopping center, um, this beautiful brand new shopping center uh, during the lockdown for about nine months, and we were rent-free there. God just knew that uh, it just kind of took care of the whole thing. Um, and then when we were kicked out of the shopping center, because we actually were, we were, we were kicked out of the shopping center, um, we, we landed up going to St. John's where we are now, and it is literally the best facility in Peter Maritzburg. It's no joke. It is the best theater in Maritzburg, and so we're so grateful to be there. The school has been incredible. God is doing amazing things. We've had um, in, just incredible highs, some really, really difficult challenges as well, but God has been so faithful every single step of the way, and we give him all the glory, and we're so grateful to him. We've got Graydon and Annika with us. I saw him on the screen just now when uh, they were talking about the worship team. And uh, I missed him a little bit, actually. I like, I like the band here. You know, Mark's okay. <laughs> but I miss my boy. I miss Graydon. And they've just had, uh, they've just had their first child, um, little Jesse. So uh, Graydon's one of the nicest guys, you will, probably the nicest guy you'll ever meet in your life. And he's like one of those super positive guys. And I saw him the other day, and he had bags under his eyes, and he just looked like wrecked. And I don't think they've slept because his little baby's like a month old. Come on, parents. You guys know those, those early stages. Piece of cake, right? And I said to him, well, I've done this three times, Bruce. I know what you're going through. And he's like, oh, it's not that bad. I'm like, you are lying through your little nice teeth right now. I know it. But it really is such a joy to be with you guys. And uh, um, there's so much more I want to report back from, from Maritzburg and everything going on there. But I really want to preach this morning. Is that cool with everybody? And I want to get into God's word. And I really feel like God's got quite a specific word that he wants to bring. Um, and, and I'll just tell you that every single preacher in the whole world, so I'm going to give away like a secret now. If you get asked to speak somewhere else, if you, if you preach every week at your church and you get asked to speak anywhere else, there's one thing that you always do. You go back and you look for your best sermon. So you go through your notes. I'm just giving it away now. I'm telling you that that is how it is. And you, you kind of say, which was my best sermon of the last, like since I was there last? And so um, I was thinking about that, just being honest, and, uh, and, and praying about it. And I really felt God say, I want you to give your Easter message, the one that you gave three weeks ago at Easter in Marisburg. So I was like, okay, but it's not Easter. He goes, well, well, the resurrection still applies. It's kind of a big deal. It's, 
shouldn't just be once a year thing, you know? So like, okay, cool. Um, let me do this Easter thing. And I uh, also thought we can kind of reminisce a little bit about Easter. How many of you guys are missing Easter? Oh, really? Okay. I don't know if I'm at the wrong church here. Or like, what's you guys don't like Easter, eh? So, uh, Easter's not, not really a big thing. Anybody missing Easter? Yeah. I said to my, my wife the other day, I was like, um, uh, can you get us some treats from the shop? You know, we always have like some treats on the weekend. I was like, how about some Easter eggs? And she's like, there are no Easter eggs. And she was actually quite angry, like when she told me that, you know. She's like, there's no Easter eggs in the shop anymore. It was like only two weeks after Easter. I was like, that's impossible. She's like, seriously, where have they all gone? Before Easter, there's just Easter eggs in every single shop, everywhere you go. As you come in, there's Easter eggs everywhere. And then literally two weeks after the Easter weekend, they're gone. I think that there's some kind of conspiracy theory that we need to dig into and figure out what happens to all the Easter eggs after Easter. Has anybody seen any? Because this is a serious thing. Where, where are the Easter eggs? And I don't know about you, but I love those white ones. Anybody? The white Easter, are those the best ones? So um, there's, there's different kinds of techniques about eating those white Easter eggs. And it's super important to, to get this right, okay? How many of you guys sort of like just chow them, just straight, like just eat the whole thing? You're a savage and you are, you're not a gentleman and you're unsophisticated and you do not know how to eat white Easter eggs. How many of you guys suck them? Yes, okay, until the white part comes off and then you get the chocolate and the chocolate melts in your mouth. And for many years, the beacon ones were too big to put in your mouth. And then thanks to corporate greed, and bottom line dictating everything, the eggs started to get smaller. Everybody noticed that over the years. But it backfired on them because actually it's better that they're smaller because you can put the whole thing in your mouth at once. So that's how I eat them now. But Easter really is, the, for me, honestly, it's the best time of the year. It's the biggest Sunday for us as a church. It's the biggest Sunday for us as Christians. And it is a day that, that should be really the biggest celebration for every single one of us. And so what we did in Maritzburg, I'm, I'm really going to talk about Easter Sunday specifically and what it should mean for us. But what we did in Maritzburg, we did a three-week series building up to Easter called Home Stretch. Because the last week of Jesus' life was actually hugely significant. And there's, there's something about looking at Jesus. I, I personally love the Bible you know, all of it in its entirety, and I love pulling it apart, and I love getting scriptures from it, but if I had to choose one thing that I love the most that, that to preach, it would probably be about Jesus, about his life, about the gospels, because we have no visual representation here on this earth about what God is, what he looks like, and what his character is all about, and really, if we're honest, guys, we live in a world that a lot of the time, a lot of really bad things get attributed to God that never should have been, and God is misrepresented so badly in the world that we live in. But there is no better representation for us. If you want to know what God looks like, because the whole concept of God can be a little bit like out there and like, you know, I don't know what he looks like and what his character is like. If you want to know who God is, you look at Jesus. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father who sent me. I, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. He is the best physical representation that we have of God. And it's so interesting because the last week of Jesus' life is almost this like climax to his ministry. And, the, and it's, it's, has anybody ever helped tutor somebody for, for like final exams before? Anybody ever done that? One or two people, okay. How many of you guys sat down with somebody and you're like, oh boy. 
you, you got like a couple of days to go and you're just like, oh man. And you don't want to say it because, you know, it's like you're trying to build up their confidence and stuff, but you're just like, wow, we're in trouble here. I kind of feel like the last week of Jesus' life was sort of like that. It's like there's so much info, there's so much that happened. Actually, that one third of all the gospels, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four gospels that talk about Jesus and his ministry and his life. One third of all the gospels are about the last week of Jesus' life. Half of John's gospel is about the last week of his life. And a whole bunch of stuff happens. It's almost like he's desperate to get into humanity, to get into disciples, who he is, what he's all about, what the message is before he knows that he's going to go. And the last week, there's a whole bunch of things that happen, and we have such a good representation about the character and the nature of God from the last week of Jesus' life. And so the uh, the first kind of part of the series, we did this Palm Sunday, the Sunday that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. <clears throat> and I'll give you the quick cheat with it before I get into today's message. But Jesus is determined to come into your life. Jesus has a, a determination and a focus, and, and he will pursue you no matter what you do. You've got to understand that Jesus knew coming into Jerusalem that he was going to die. He could have been out on the countryside. He could have, been, he could have run away. He knew full well we make a big deal about Palm Sunday and how the whole, literally, they, they believe about three million people were in Jerusalem at the time. And how they all came out to greet Jesus and put palms down and to worship and there was this massive celebration. But Jesus knew something that those guys didn't. He knew that in five days' time, the same people who were praising him were going to shout crucify him. And guess what? He rode in anyway. He came in anyway. And if you're here this morning, I just want you to know, whether you like it or not, I just want to settle something in your life. Jesus will never stop pursuing you. No matter what you've done, no matter what you're doing right now, and because only he can do this, no matter what you're going to do, he already knows what you're going to do. He already knows what you're going to get wrong. And he will never, ever stop pursuing you. But with that, he pursues you on a donkey. He comes in on a donkey, which means he comes in humility. He doesn't ride in. He doesn't boss his way in. He doesn't force the door down. He comes in in humility. He will continually pursue you, but he'll never force himself on you. You've got to choose. Will you answer that or not? Week two, we looked at um, what he does when he comes into your life. And a lot of people think you come to Jesus and all your problems go away. (laughs) That's not true. Actually, one of the first things that Jesus did when he came into Jerusalem was he made an absolute mess of the place. He went in the temple and he started overturning tables and he made a whip and he was, I don't think he actually whipped anybody. I think that would probably constitute sin, which he never did. So I don't think he actually hit anybody with the shambok, you know, I think he just made a whip and just, it actually says he drove the, the people out. But some people come to Jesus and it's like, there's tables overturning in my life. What's going on here? Everything seems like a mess. What we don't realize is the work that he does is to actually separate, to take away anything that would separate us from how we were always supposed to relate to God. The tables that were there, the things that were set up in the temple were getting in the way of the people having the kind of relationship with the God that they were supposed to have. And sometimes God comes into our life and he makes a bit of a mess. Amen, somebody? Sometimes he comes into our life and he turns some tables. And we actually got to be okay there. We've got to trust him. And today what I want to do is I want to unpack this last bit the final piece, the, really the pinnacle of everything that we believe as Christians, and that is Easter Sunday. So on Easter Sunday in Maritzburg, um, I grew up in the Methodist church. Any Methodists here this morning? Any, anyone else who grew up in the Methodist church? Oh, Bruce. Anyone else? Any Anglicans? 
Anyone grew up in the Anglican church? Okay, so I grew up in the Methodist church, and I think in the Anglican church it's the same. But on Easter Sunday, there's this tradition. So you go up to people on Easter Sunday and you say, Nearly, Christ is risen. Okay, so you go up to somebody, so I'll go to Scotty, Scotty and I'll say, Christ is risen. And then Scotty, you say? Amen, brother. Amen, brother. Scotty did not grow up in the Methodist church or the Anglican church. <laughs> So it's genuinely, this is the thing. So in every message on Easter Sunday, you go up to people and you say, Christ is risen, and they say, he is risen indeed. Okay, so can we try that? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Nice. You guys would do perfectly at the Methodist Church and the Anglican Church. Really good. So um, one, of, one of my good friends in Maritzburg, he also grew up in the Methodist Church, and he's a little bit older than me. He'd been in the Methodist Church for 52 years, and then he's joined our church, Open Skies, and... Uh, um, it was really difficult for him to leave the Methodist Church, but, you know, he really felt God had called him to. Amazing guy, Pete Smith. So on the, on the Sunday morning, Easter Sunday, uh, he knows that I grew up in the Methodist Church. I know that he did. So he comes in, and he goes, comes to me, and he says, Christ is risen. And the thing is that it had been Pete Smith's son's 21st the night before. And so Pete Smith looked like the back end of a rhinoceros. Do you know what I'm talking about? He looked absolutely really, really tired, like really tired, just terrible. So he said to me, Christ is risen. I said, I know, Pete, but are you? Because <laughs> it looks like you're still in bed. And, uh, and so we laughed about it. But the question I want to ask you today is Christ is risen, are you? Are you? Because you see, guys, the whole point of Easter, the whole point of the resurrection was not just these two parts to the story. And so many times for so many Christians, we only ever understand the first part of Easter. And we, we kind of grow up and we, we go to church and we're conditioned to hear about this great story about something that happened. This really incredible guy called Jesus who died on a cross and he rose again three days later. And we mark that day in history and we celebrate it and we cheer it and it's, and it's all about that. And let me tell you something, if it was just that, if it was just that God came and it was just that he took care of our sins and died on the cross and, and, and he, he rose from the dead in three days, it would be more than enough reason for us to praise him with everything that we have, to respond with our whole lives. But that is only part one of the story. Part one of the story is that Jesus rose from the dead. But I want to be as bold to say this as I can this morning. We will never ever understand the significance and know the full picture unless we partake in part two. And that is that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same spirit, the same life, the same breath that was in his lungs that brought him out of the tomb is at work in every single person who would believe it. That the story is not complete unless it becomes your story, unless it becomes personal to you, that we were all in the grave once as well. And that same life and that same breath and everything that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us. It's available to us. And Easter is only complete when you have part two of the story. See, guys, Jesus never came to make good people or to make bad people good. A lot of people have demoted Christianity to that point. Christianity is about a God who came, died on the cross, so that I can have a ticket to heaven and to make me a good person. He never came to make bad people good. He came to raise the dead back to life. And that has got to sink in and that's got to hit us so hard because it changes everything in our lives. And I'll tell you why now in a second. But Jesus came to raise the dead back 
to life. Can someone say amen to that? It's the best day in history, but it's the best day because of what it means for me and my life. And so I want to kind of open up a couple of scriptures to really prove this to you this morning. My goal is just so simple. I want you to see that the story of Easter is only complete when it becomes your story, when it becomes personal to you. So 1 Peter uh, 1 verse 3 to 4 in the message, it says this, it says, what a God we have. I can actually read this in Marisburg. I can never ever read our screen. It's too far back, but this is awesome. So I can read it from the back and look professional. It's great. What a God we have and how fortunate we are to have him. Amen, somebody. This father of our master, Jesus, because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for. Some people feel like I've got nothing to live for. Can I just tell you, if that's you, if you feel like you've got nothing to live for, you do. You do. You have got everything to live for. If you've still got breath in your lungs and, and, and you feel like a little bit despondent this morning, you feel like, you know, I'm not sure whether this life is worth living. Can I just tell you that the more you get to know this God whose sole purpose of coming to this earth and, and, and to, to, to give us a set of example and finish the work that he started was to die, but not to be left in the grave, but to be risen again from the grave. His sole purpose was that you could understand that that changed everything and gave you everything to live for. We've been given a brand new life and everything to live for, including a future in heaven. Two parts to salvation. Most Christians only understand the first part, that being a Christian and accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior means my, self, my eternity is secure. Awesome. It's so powerful and so good. And it's really important that we never ever forget about that. But the future starts when? Now. The future starts now. There's a second part to it. Salvation was never just meant to be a ticket to heaven. Eternal life and being risen from the dead was never just meant to be once we die. It was meant to be right here and now on this earth that everything in our life that looks like death, that, that was dead and decaying, that Jesus was able to bring it back to life again. That is the message of the gospel. Revelation 1.18 says this, and just to give a little bit of context, so Revelation was written by this guy called John, who was one of the disciples, and uh, he was exiled on the island of Patmos, and he was kind of there for a little while, and he had this incredible vision of, of Jesus and heaven and all this kind of stuff, this huge revelation, and he wrote the book of Revelation. If you've ever read it before, you'd be like, I don't know what on earth is going on. There's like dragons, and there's like candlesticks, and trumpets, and fire, and brimstone, and all this kind of stuff. But anyway, there's a lot of prophetic things that are in there, and, and, and right kind of near the beginning, uh, and John's having this vision, um, it, it, he actually encounters Jesus. And it says this, it says Jesus responds to him, because I don't know if you guys have ever had an encounter with an angel, or Jesus, anyone here? Just what kind of church is this? And... Uh, but anyway, when anybody has ever had an encounter with an angel with Jesus, they were terrified. So Jesus looks at him and he says, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. I, I was dead, but now I live. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And then he says, amen. And I, I really sympathize with Jesus here because sometimes I preach and people don't say amen. So then Jesus just amens himself. You're not going to do it, John, then I'm going to do it. So, this is so good that I'm going to say amen because I know that this is good. So he says amen. And here's the part. And I have the keys of Hades and death. 
I have the keys of Hades and death. We sang about it earlier. Jesus is the one who conquered death and conquered hell, and he now has the keys. It is no longer a prison. It is no longer a trap. It is no longer something that we are caught in that we have no way out of. He holds the keys. Can somebody say amen to that? And so what I want to ask you today is just a simple question in response to this. We start to believe and understand this. What in your life right now looks like death or that it's dying? Think about it. What in your life right now looks like death? Because you've got to know that there is no problem for the God that we serve. This is his speciality. This changes everything for our lives. So many people are trying to do whatever they can to try and survive, to stay away from death, to try and take the easy path, take the easy route, to do whatever they can because they're terrified that they're going to lose something. We have got nothing to lose, Christians. Can somebody say amen to that? Death is Jesus Christ's speciality. When he looks at death, when we look at something that's finished and done and over, we go, well, that's it. When he looks at it, it goes, no, there is life yet in this thing. And I'm going to bring it to life again. And there's so many of us this morning that are experiencing some kind of death in some area of our lives. It could be financial death. People here today feel like, that's it. I'm up to my neck in debt. I can't get by. I don't know what. This is over. It's finished. I'm done. Looks like death. Some people are in relational death. You look at a relationship, you go, this thing will never, ever, ever work. It will never be brought back to life. Look like death. Some people feel emotional death. Just feel numb on the inside. I'm dead. I'm dead emotionally. Some people feel spiritual death. Experiencing spiritual death right now. God, I come and I worship you, but there's just, there's nothing going on. I, I just feel dead on the inside. In this a room like this, there, there, there are so many different kinds of deaths that people experience. Can I just tell you this morning that that is our Lord and Savior's speciality, that when we look at something and we go, it's finished, he goes, no, it is not. And our job is to believe and to understand that if he, can, if he can be raised from the dead and if he can take care of our salvation for all eternity, what is the problem that we're facing right now? Is anything too hard for our God? Amen, somebody. And whatever you might be facing right now, I just want to tell you, Jesus has the answer for it. Every single death situation. John 14 verse 19 says this. All I'm doing this morning, I'm trying to get you to understand there's two parts to the Easter story. One part is about Jesus, the other part is about you. And the story will never be complete unless it becomes your story. John 14 verse 19, it says, Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. And I just want to tell you that when Jesus is talking about this life that he's given to us, it was never meant to be a life that we just scrape by and survive and so we get to a, a grave one day and then that's it. No, Jesus wants to make everything alive in our life, everything that is, looks like death and decay and everything that looks like it's over and finished, he wants to bring it back to life. He won on the cross that, that day that, that, that he defeated death in the grave and everything that we sing about was not just about our salvation. It was about whatever situation you are facing right now, whatever thing you thought of when I said, what looks like death in your life right now, I want to tell you that Jesus wants to resurrect it. And I'm going to do better than that. I'm going to tell you how. Is that cool? Well, yeah, that's good. I'm one of those guys who, 
I love preaching, and, and I love inspiring people. But if I'm honest with you, I, I'm, I kind of feel like sometimes as preachers, we get people to a certain point and we get them all excited, and we don't give them tools. We don't tell them how to do stuff. Am I right? We're like, oh, that's not, that such a great message. I'm so pumped up about it, but what now? What do I actually do? Like, I've got to walk out of here and I've got to do something with this. And so what, really what I want to try and do this morning is give you some, a practical way to understand whatever situation you're facing in right now that I'm telling you guys that Jesus wants to resurrect again. Are you ready for it? Okay. So the way that we see this play out is in the actual resurrection story of Jesus Christ. So there's three parts to the resurrection story. And we, I think if you've grown up in church, you should know this, but, but maybe you don't, that Jesus was crucified on Friday and he was risen again on Sunday. So in, anybody been to like a Good Friday service before? You know, and, you, and, you, and, and actually it's, it's kind of funny because they call it a Good Friday service, but it's actually really morbid. You know, and it's like, this is the day that Jesus died and everybody's like, mm, sad. And it's like, you sing these like super, super morbid songs and, and everybody kind of dresses in black. And it's like really sad. And then Sunday's there, ah, you know, like the big celebration. Jesus is alive. Christ is risen. Really lost it. I can't believe it. Eh? It's like, what are you going to do with these guys, Scotty? So Sunday's the big celebration. But there's three parts to the story. And they are death, burial, and resurrection. Death, burial, resurrection. The cross, the grave, and resurrection. And so many people want the resurrection of Jesus Christ in their life, but they don't want the first two. And there's no way to experience the resurrection of Jesus Christ unless you go through the whole picture, go through the whole story, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so on Friday, Jesus was crucified. And crucifixion represents death. And for so many people, you kind of like want to just You're faced with a situation, you want to pray into it and you want to go, okay, that's it, now God, just raise it to life again. So even a message like this morning, Tom said that, you know, God wants to raise everything to life again in my life and that's it. But you've got to understand that before there can be a resurrection, there's got to be a death. There has to be a death before there can be a resurrection. And for so many of us, we're facing things, we're we're going through situations that we are holding on to, that we will not let die. And here's the issue, guys, that we can't have the problem and God has the problem at the same time. One of us is going to have it and one of us is not. And for many people, you're holding on for dear life to the thing that you just got to let go of. And you just got to go, God, I trust you more to do whatever you need to do. Like Abraham did with, with, with Isaac and just say, what, if this thing has got to die, you will raise it from the dead. But I trust you to release it into your hand. You see, the story of Friday is a story of surrender. That the King of Kings, that the Lord of Lords, that the God who created heaven and earth, who spoke and stars came out of his mouth, who had at his disposal tens of thousands of angels that could come and rescue him, he didn't lean into that power. He didn't, he didn't uh, uh, grapple with that and try and force something to happen. He let go and he surrendered on Friday and surrendered himself into the hands of the very people that he created. It is the ultimate picture of humility and surrender. There is nothing in all history that will, get, that will be 
bigger and deeper and greater surrender than Jesus on the cross. There's nothing. That the God himself who created humans would surrender to them. The one who gives us life, allowed his life to be taken by those things. And for so many people, you're holding on to something. You're holding on to, to, to whatever is trying to control it in your strength, trying to make a plan, trying to figure it out, trying to do, and, and I'm not saying that you should sit back and do nothing. All I'm saying is that at some point, you've got to surrender these things to God. If you want the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, you have to surrender to him first. You've got to die first. The story of salvation starts with that. There's some people here in this room this morning, I'm really hoping that you share this message and maybe for the first time, you need to surrender your whole life. You need to surrender everything because there can be no resurrection without death. We've got to have death first. Friday, death. Saturday, burial. And this is a big one, guys. This is a big one for Christians. So many Christians are living in a Saturday and they get so despondent and they, they land up kind of shortchanging the entire process because you start trying to take stuff back. Saturday is about trust. Saturday is when you've handed something over to God and you haven't seen the fulfillment yet, but you continue to trust Him anyway. Listen to me. If that's you, if you're trusting God for something this morning, I want you to know that some of the best, most important work that Jesus could ever do was on Saturday. Because Saturday is the day that everybody was weeping and despondent and thought that was all over. How many of you guys feel like you've given something to God, you've handed it over to Him, and nothing's happening? That's how the disciples felt. They were scattered, they were gone, they were all they were despondent, they, were, they ran away, they were weeping, there was pain. Because guys, before there's ever the fulfillment of promise, there's often some pain in between. Some pain in between the promise God has given us and the fulfillment of it. But here is the thing you need to hear loud and clear. If you're in that place this morning, I want you to hear this as loud as you possibly can. Just because you can't see anything happening does not mean that Jesus is not doing something. Do you know that, I can't get into, I've only got a couple minutes left, but I absolutely cannot get into the theology of this. But do you know that most theologians believe that Jesus on Saturday actually went to hell? So when I read that scripture earlier, it says he's got the keys of Hades. It's because he actually went into Hades. He wasn't dormant on Saturday. The tomb was there. The guys were despondent. They thought that nothing was happening, but Jesus was working when they thought that nothing was happening. Jesus actually went into hell. Get your head around that. And he took away the power of death and the grave and everything that would stop whatever God wants to happen. He was doing the work on Saturday. When it looked like nothing was happening, he was doing the biggest work. Sometimes the situations in our life that we're like, I've given this thing to God. And because we don't see the resurrection in one second, we're like, well, God doesn't work. When you don't understand that he's actually busy doing the work right now to resurrect that thing back from the dead. We'll bring it back to life again. Amen, somebody. Saturday is a day just because you can't see Jesus working does not mean that he's not working. And if you're experiencing something in your life that you feel like you've handed this over to him and you're not seeing anything, can you just hold on? Can you just not give up? Can you just believe that although you can't see it with your human eyes, that there is a God who is fighting on your behalf? There is a God who has descended into the very pit of whatever situation you've handed over to him and he is unlocking that thing. He is taking back the keys and he's about to bring it back to life again if you would just continue to trust in him. Amen, someone, come on. 
Because Sunday is the fulfillment of the promise that if we would believe that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in every single person who would believe it. And when you look at something that's dead, and when you look at something like it's dying and it's decaying, he's not finished yet. He's doing the work. If you surrender to him, and if you wait in his timing, and you wait patiently for him, and you trust in him. On Saturday, Jesus develops trust in us that we would trust him with everything. When we can't see the way out, we don't know how this thing's gonna work out. We start learning how to trust in him. God, I surrender, I let it go, and I continue to trust you until I see this thing resurrected. Because Sunday is coming, and on Sunday we receive the promise so there's a scripture that I've kind of paraphrased and quoted almost all the way through the sermon. But I want to read it now, and I want, this to, I want this to sink in for you this morning. And I want you to know that the Easter story is your story, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is your story. It's available to you for your entire life, for everything that you go through, whatever you're facing right now. Ephesians 1, verse 19, says this. It says, I also pray that you would understand, so I'm praying for you this morning, that you would understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. That you would understand this. Now, now just don't, don't, let, don't skim over this verse. I also pray that you would understand because our brains get in the way and, and we start trying to do things in our own strength and we try and work it out in our human minds. But, but Paul is praying and he's saying, I pray that you would go beyond your understanding. I pray that there'll be something within you that you would just get this. And this is my prayer this morning. There'll be something in us that would just get this. The incredible greatness of God's power for who? For us who believe. What's the criteria here? There's one criteria and one only, and that is that you would believe. That's it. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Here this morning to tell you that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is ours. We don't have to try and earn it. We don't have to try and find a way to wrestle with it and to pull it down from heaven. And to, it is ours. All we have to do just believe that it is. And whatever situation you're facing in your life, surrender, trust, and then see the God of the impossible come through and resurrect whatever he needs to in your life. I love being in Maritzburg, and one of the things I love about Maritzburg is that a lot of people have a negative, like, understanding of the city and of the place. And I kind of like that. The first sermon I think I ever preached there was, when we launched the church, was um, the city that I see. And I said, people have written, the, you know, Marisburg off, and it's a, it's, the municipality is terrible. It's a failed municipality. They're under administration, and it's, it's bad, and really it, it feels like when you drive through it, it's kind of gone backwards. But the thing that I love about Marisburg is that 
When we look at situations and, and, and we look at them in the human eyes, we might see it a certain way, but if you would just take the time and go, God, give me your eyes for this situation, you will see it in a completely different light. And every single time I drive into Peter Maritzburg, I just sense the hope, the promise, the glory of God over that place. We've had so many prophetic words about the valley being like, like this place where God's glory would be where God is, is about to, to, to see revival. And, and we're seeing that in the schools. We, we, so every third Sunday, we have, um, we have a border service, and we've got borders that are bussing in from the schools on a Sunday evening. Hundreds of kids. In fact, our only limitation is the COVID, you know, the, the, the restrictions with COVID. But we're seeing hundreds of kids, and we are boldly preaching the gospel. We've got open doors into every single one of the schools there. While people are saying, you can't say Jesus in the schools anymore, we are preaching the gospel, church, in the schools, boldly. And God has given us an open door. And these are future leaders. These are, are, are future people that we're believing are going to do incredible things throughout this whole country. And what, just because somebody sees something and talks about it a certain way, don't ever let that make you feel like that's the truth, because it's not. What God wants for every single one of us, whatever situation you're facing right now, wherever you find yourself, is to see that situation with his eyes. That when we look at things and they look like they're dead or they're decaying or they're on their way out, let me just tell you something. He has a very, very different point of view because his point of view is that he was dead. He was in the grave. I am he who was dead, but I am now alive. And I've defeated the grave and I've defeated death itself. And let me tell you, whatever situation you are facing, if you would just let God, he would give you eyes to see that nothing is impossible for him. If he can raise the dead back to life, he can raise whatever situation you're facing back to life again today. Amen, somewhat. So I want to pray this morning, and I want to pray for three categories of people. I want to pray for those who have never given their lives to Jesus, those that have never surrendered. And maybe today's your day, guys. Maybe today's the day that you go, my whole life needs to be resurrected. It's not one part of my life. It's everything, all of it. It's got to start with surrender. It's got to start with you letting your life go. Saying, God, if you're going to bring this thing back to life, you've got to have full control. You've got to have full authority. I've got to give it all to you. Then I want to pray for people that need to surrender situations, circumstances, something that you've just held on to that you're trying to figure out in your own strength. I want to pray that today would be the day that you just release this thing to God, that if it... It's got to die in you. You've got to let it go. You can't have the problem and God at the same time. So let it, give it to him. He's better off with it. And then lastly, I want to pray for the Saturday people, the people who've given things over to God and just feel like you see nothing. I want to pray this morning that you would have an injection of faith and courage and trust in your heart to know that when you can't see anything, that doesn't mean that this great God that we serve is not doing anything. He's, he's taking care of it, but you've got to continue trusting him. So come on, let's pray together. It's just while everybody's eyes are closed and we're in this attitude of worship this morning. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus before, and you're not living, the Easter story is not your story. 
that you're not living in, in, the, in the power and the resurrection life of Jesus. If that's you, and today is the day that you want to give your whole life to him, I'm going to ask you just, everybody's eyes are closed in this place. I'm going to ask you just to put your hand in the air as a sign, an acknowledgement to him. It's not to me, it's to him. Thank you. I see a hand there on the right. Anyone else? Someone at the back there. Anybody else? You can just put it up and put it down again. There's one on the mezzanine there. It's awesome. Anyone else? Cool. I'm going to ask everybody just to repeat after me. Stay, keep your eyes closed. We're all going to say this salvation prayer together. Salvation is really just confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, that he died, that this whole story, he did it for you. And you just surrender your life and you give it to him and you say, God, I want that same power that raised Jesus from the dead to work in my life, but I need to give you my life. I've got to let go. I've got to do it your way. So I'm asking everybody to just repeat after me this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I'm sorry for doing life my way. From now on, I want to do it your way. Today, I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Come into my life and change everything. You have full control. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's just celebrate for a second with those guys. Isn't that awesome? Just while we stay in attitude of prayer, I want to pray for those other two categories of people. Lord, you know every single person in this room. God, I believe that all of us have got something in our life at any given time that looks like it's on the way out, that looks like it's dead and it's over and it's finished. But I thank you, Jesus, that you are the God who brings the dead back to life. This is the foundation of our faith. This is everything to us, God. And I pray today in Jesus' name that something would shift in our hearts, Lord. And this wouldn't just be a great story of history, something that happened a long time ago. But Lord, that today it would become personal for so many of us. God, that the Easter story would be complete because we would trust you to see the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in every situation, in every circumstance in our lives, God. For those that are grappling with things, that are holding on to things, that are just feeling like I'm holding on for dear life, God, I pray today that, you, that, that we'd have the strength and the courage to release these things to you in Jesus' name. We would give them to you, God, knowing that every situation, every circumstance is better in your hands than in ours. God, I pray right now that we'd just let it go. Those that are trusting you for for, for relationships to be restored, those that are trusting you to be healed physically, to be healed emotionally, God. We don't, we don't have to, God, we don't have to jump through hoops, Lord. We just have to believe right here and now that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us if we would just receive it. God, I pray today that we would surrender to you to be able to receive your power. God, that those that feel like they're living in a Saturday, and I really feel strongly this morning, church, there's a lot of people in here feel like you're in a perpetual Saturday. And actually what's happening is you're surrendering and then you're taking it back. And you're surrendering and you're taking it back. And you're surrendering and you're taking it back. And today, let this be the day 
that you say this once and for all, God, belongs to you now. I'm gonna let it go and I'm gonna trust you that when I can't see anything happening, that I'm gonna believe that you're doing something. And Lord, I pray for faith and for hope and for courage to rise in every single person's heart in this place this morning that would learn to trust you with everything that we have. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen, Amen. Awesome. I've asked the band if they can sing the song this morning and I actually really do love you, Mark. Just wanted to say that publicly. Isn't Mark a good guy? Uh, look at him. Thanks, Mark. I've known Mark for 25 years, something like that. It's a long time. We met when we were just born, like literally right there. No, I'm joking. A little older than that. But I've asked, I've asked the guys to end with a song because this is just, this is it, guys. And as you sing it this morning, I want you to sing it with a different kind of heart and a different kind of faith that you would understand that the story is your story. It's personal. It's got to mean something to you and to your everyday life. So come on, let's stand to our feet and let's end the service with just lifting God up this morning.